0: Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatyana Kasesinov. This week, I am very delighted to have as my guest, Andrew Jobling. He's on a mission to create a wave of wellness around the world. And even more than that, he has the ambitious goal of engaging the unengageable, moving the unmovable, and motivating the unmotivatable. That's quite difficult to say, by the way. Um... And he's doing that to get everybody to make better choices and live a more purposeful and joyful time into longevity. Andrew played professional Australian football for seven years. He has 30 years experience in the health and well-being industry, and he's the best-selling author of seven books, including Eat Chocolate, Drink Alcohol, Be Lean and Healthy, and his latest book, The Wellness Puzzle. For the last 15 years, he's been writing and speaking to audiences, helping create the mindset that will leads to optimal well-being. Andrew says about himself that he's an attention-seeking mama's boy, middle child, who realized early in his life that anything is possible when you have a clear vision, apply the right thinking and take the right actions for long enough. He really believes you can achieve optimal well-being or any success you desire, no matter who you are, what your talent level is, or where you come from, or how unlikely or illogical it may seem. That's a loaded bio. Andrew, welcome. I'm really enjoying the idea of getting into this, taking it apart, and talking to you. Thank
1: you, Tediana. I appreciate it. Good to be here.
0: It's wonderful so we can hear from your lovely accent that you're uh, from down under in australia so welcome i'm
1: from way <laughs> way down under yeah i'm in melbourne australia which is the bottom of the bottom
0: so <laughs> man,
1: we're a long we're a long way apart at the moment you don't and
0: you, i don't you just love technology it just brings people like us together i think it's wonderful
1: I do. I do. Thank you for having me again.
0: It's an absolute pleasure. So let's get stuck in. I'm really fascinated because you have, um, you know, people that I find who who make a mission in their lives to help other people always have their own story. And you started off as a professional athlete. So what I mean, it's, a, it's sort of a logical move, perhaps to move into the fitness and wellness industry. But you've sort of taken it a bit further than that. What was your motivation to do that? Tell us a little bit. Well,
1: I mean, I'd, I'd have to go back a long way, Tatiana. I mean, I played professional sport back in the eighties, and um, I guess that was where it started for me—the thinking around achievement, success. Um, you know, for me back then, as a teenager and in my early twenties, you know, it was what I learnt is if you want anything in life, you've got to work hard. You know, you know the whole "no pain, no gain" sort of idea, the whole you know, "go hard or go home" sort of sort of principles in life. I learned it from a very, very young age, and it started, really started to define my my thinking around success. But then also, after seven years of professional sport, I, yeah, I did. I, it would logically for me to get into health and fitness, so I got into the personal training, the gym scene, and the personal training scene, and and I. And I took with me the mindset from professional sport, which was a big mistake. You know, I was just young and, and naive and I thought naively that if you trained hard enough, often enough, intensely enough, then you'd be healthy. And so I used to train my clients. You know, these are, these are some of the learning experiences and I joke about it when I speak. I say, well, if my clients could walk out after a session, I felt like I'd let them down. If they vomited, I thought it was their way of saying thank you. So you can see, I, like I had a lot to learn, uh, but I just didn't know much. I was in my early mid twenties. I I was pretty clueless. I didn't know a lot, so I, I started to learn and I started to put a lot of time and energy into nutrition because I thought, well, look, in my again back in those days, the thought was, well, if you eat well and you exercise, you should be healthy. You know, that, I mean, that's a common even today. I think that's a common sort of mindset around well being is that you can. Heal yourself through food, which we know you can. You you know, exercise is a great thing to do. So I, that's what led me into writing my first book. So it was I'd done fifteen years of personal training. I'd learned a lot about nutrition, and to be honest, I was sick of personal training. I, I was sick of getting up at five o'clock in the morning, and I was over working till nine o'clock at night. And the fact that you know there was no stability, no time, no life, and I thought, how am I going to get this message out about nutrition and 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 this idea just came into my head this crazy idea to write a book and it was crazy because you know i had no experience no background no qualifications i had no time uh, i didn't read i didn't write so there was nothing really that would would indicate writing a book was a sensible idea other than the thought and a desire that that i wanted to make a difference in the world i had a message i knew knew you wanted to make a difference so i just got to work and Within two years I, I had my first published book that was Eat Chocolate, Drink Alcohol and Be Landed Healthy that went on to become a best-selling book and and that really I guess started me on this whole journey of where I am today and you know, that was published 15 years ago as we speak and um, that just put me on this path of this desire to want to make a difference, this desire to to want to to changed lives to get my message out to the world. And and so since then, you know, I, as you mentioned, I've written seven books, published books now and I speak in schools and I speak in corporates and I do a lot of work online and, and I am do a lot of mentoring and Skyping and Zooming and a whole heap of stuff. Um, and I think what's, you know, the latest book, which is the one we're, I guess, primarily talking about today, you know, is the culmination of well over 30 years of mistakes and learning and lessons and thinking and and understanding what wellness is and what it isn't and I can tell you my thinking around health and wellbeing is very different now than it was when I started
0: I think it is for for everybody actually I mean first of all the amount of new data that's come available just in very recent years the whole functional medicine movement has really kind of moved the field on um I think it's uh, it's also made it so much more complicated because people really now don't know what the right thing to do is. And I had to sort of smile when you were talking about your training programs because my first foray into the world, world of hard sport was was doing ballet. And, uh, you know, that was, that was absolutely the principle. You know, I had a, the typical Russian ballet teacher who would walk around with a big stick and if you didn't go out crying, you know, you hadn't done your job. And yet, you know, modern research is showing that actually very moderate exercise, but just continually moving every day, is actually the optimal kind of health I mean of course you can you can improve on that, but you know do that every day and and you're in a good place so you know what what changes have really happened for you in your theory and your thinking? Where are you standing now? what are your recommendations very different in terms of fitness
1: yeah well i mean very different i'm in a very 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 different place now because i I, I look around the world and you know, and I see how much sickness there is, I see how much mental health, physical health issues, you know, I lost my mum to cancer, you know, and, and it's happening even though we have more access to information than ever there's more resources there's more nutritionists there's more dietitians there's more gyms there's more personal trainers there's more there's more wellness practitioners than there's ever been yet we're getting sicker and sicker and sicker and we and I really believe a we're, tr- we're complicating wellbeing, absolutely complicating it and b we're focusing on the wrong things I'm, I think what, what I 've learned and I'll tell you one of the biggest changes that came for me was when I was um, I was reading a book. And the book, because I set the goal for myself, I want to live beyond 100 years old. I want to I be active, happy, productive, purpose-driven well into my, into my three f- digits, into over 100 years old. And it was interesting. I was reading a book, and the book talked about a study that was done on 100 people that had lived uh, sorry fifty people that lived beyond hundred years old and they were living and they were active and they're happy they weren't rocking and dribbling they were <laughs> still doing things they loved they still had an amazing life and what they were trying to work out was what is the key to longevity now as i'm reading this study i'm thinking oh yeah it'll be you know they, they ate well and they you know they exercised regularly and they got plenty of sleep and they didn't smoke and they didn't drink and they didn't eat bad foods, blah, 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 blah. And, and that's what was, I guess, the researchers expected to find as well. What they found, though, that out of nine, nine out of ten of these 50 people, so 45 out of 50 stated that every day they wake up grateful for a new day, every day they saw as a precious gift, every day they were able to look at the positive side of life, they were able to forgive and they didn't hold on to resentment. And I'm reading this book going, I get it. Because it explained to me, it explained to me so much. I've got a a Hungarian background. So my mum was born in Hungary and her her grandmother, so my Hungarian great-grandmother lived to 97. She smoked a carton of cigarettes a week. She drank brandy every day and she ate rich Hungarian food. And I'm looking at this lady going, how do you do that? How can you possibly live to that age? But I always remember her as happy. She was always happy. On the flip side, I could never explain when people said, well, how come, you know, if, if there's all these people that are eating well and exercising regularly and they're ending up sick. They're ending up with cancer and they're ending up with heart disease and they're ending up with allergies and asthma and all these mental health issues if they're doing what sh- suppose them, supposedly is the right thing. And I never got it until that point, until I now... Very much realized that our long the quality and longevity of our life is far more about our emotional state than it is about anything we put into our mouth or any exercise that we do you know i 've just recently been in the u s launching the book and and I spoke at a hospice and at this hospice that I was talking to the carers of people that you know obviously live to old ages and one of the guys talked about a lady that lived to 113 years old and and he and he said I could never understand how she did it because she ate atrociously she ate fried foods and sugary foods and she didn't eat vegetables and and he asked her one day he said how do you do it how do you possibly live so well and so for so long based on how you eat she goes I don't worry about anything that was her answer. I don't worry about anything. And and I think this is where we complicate it. We're trying to find all the answers in books about how to eat and what to do and what training is the best sort of training and what food combinations and what plants have got what nutrients and this where the real true secret in the the key to like joyful longevity is don't worry about anything. <laughs> is focus on what you're grateful for because what is happening in our body is that the, the the chemical reactions and the physical reactions of emotion that's what's giving people amazing longevity but that's what's killing people before their time it's the the impact of negative emotion on the body as well as on the choices that we're making so the the thing we all need to deal with is is stop focusing about eating more salads and Steamed chicken, and and start focusing on how how to be happy. How do we look at the positive side of life? How do we how do we change our emotional state? Because most people live in a state of negative emotion. Most people live in anxiety. There's bitterness. There's regret. There's anger. There's there's frustration. Most of us live in that state, which that's what's causing the problems. That's what's leading us to. Drink too much alcohol and eat too much processed food, and and smoke, and do all the things that are clearly not helping. It's our emotional state we need to focus on. That's where I'm spending the vast majority of my time right now.
0: Yeah, that's that's absolutely echoes my message entirely. Um, that you know you can you can eat as well as you like, and you can exercise as well as you like, but if if your mind isn't on board. You know, um, it it doesn't lead to the results. And and that's evident because there are people who are the sick wells, you know, the people who do do the optimal things and they do exercise and they do eat well, sometimes to the point of obsessing about it. I think that's even a new just description, isn't it? Orexia is is sort of these people who, who are really obsessed about good health and they get sick um so I think that absolutely kind of supports the sort of thing that you're talking about. Um, you, br- you mentioned briefly, though, when you were talking about chronic disease, also the increase in mental health and um, you know, um, mental health disorders. I mean, I think it's very clear that cases of depression, teenage suicide, these things are going through the roof. Um I myself was recently diagnosed with ADHD, which was interesting. Um, but that's another number that we seem to be seeing going up, autism's going up. Do you think, um, I mean, how can you explain these kind of things in children if it's if it's in your opinion, sort of are they are they emotion are that emotionally challenged, do you think? Or is that well, a completely I... different thing?
1: No, well look, I think ma you've got to be careful when you go down this mental health health path, right? So I'm 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 just going to talk in generalities here, and I'm also, you know, I understand that there are some mental health issues that are genetic, um, that, that, you know, maybe pre, you know, people are predisposed to, but I think a lot of mental health issues, you know, certainly depression. I mean, why are we depressed? You know, what are we depressed about? What are we thinking about? I, I truly believe, and, you know, in depression, you don't just wake up depressed. Uh, I This is my belief, depression is is something that, that is an end result of a, a thought, a, simple, a simple, simple thought that as a child gets planted in our head, that thought leads to an emotion, okay? So if you get told as a kid, you know, you're not good enough or you're fat or, you know, you, you'll never be like your brother or sister or whatever, and a child takes that thought and starts to dwell on that thought, that thought will lead to an emotion, okay? Thought always leads to the emotion. The emotion then, you know, if it's anxiety or anger or frustration or whatever that might be, leads to an action, okay? So we start to do things, you know, when someone says you're dumb, then the actions we take often will just reinforce that that belief, right? You know, I mean, if, if I think I'm dumb, I'm probably not going to put in a lot of effort because what's the point? I'm dumb. So therefore I start creating a habit of, putting things off, I create a habit of, you know, not, not giving the, the effort that I should be giving, and that reinforces this belief that I'm dumb, that builds this emotional state to the point where, you know, it gets, you know, people go in all different directions based on one simple thought. It could lead them into crime, into into drugs, certainly into depression. And I think, you know, I do a lot of work in schools right now and I'm talking to kids and my my very, very simple message to these teenagers is everything starts with a thought and you're in control of your thoughts. You are good enough. You are good enough. You, you know, it doesn't matter what someone else believes about you. It's what you believe about yourself. And I think that's the, the problem. I mean, I think for, it's... I'm glad I'm an adult now and I'm glad I was a teenager and child when I was because, wow, it's tough for kids today. You know, there's so much pressure on them with social media, you know, with everything that's happening and there's – there's stress and anxiety in these kids' lives, and and they're getting overly protected by parents, which means they're not building resilience. Um, therefore, when some challenge comes along, they're not equipped to deal with it. And I think these are the reasons why why there's so much anxiety, depression, and suicide. I think we're not we're not equipping the kids to be successful, happy, healthy, resilient. People, we're we're just not, and and I think you know society does not equip anyone. I mean, traditional education doesn't teach us about this stuff. Really, it doesn't. It teaches you learn how to write, and you learn how to add and subtract and spell. But where where do we learn about understanding? And, and believing more in ourselves. Where do we learn about people's skills and communication skills and, and, and goal setting and understanding the power of our thoughts and our emotions? When do we learn that? We don't. We don't learn it watching television. We don't learn it through traditional education. We don't learn it through society. The medical profession is not teaching us how to be optimally healthy. Um, so, therefore, unless unless you go out and seek information from the right sources... We're kept in the dark. And, for, and, and I believe this is the reason why there's so much poor health, poverty, loneliness, all these things are simply because we, ne- we haven't been equipped as children. We haven't been given the right information. A lot of, a lot of kids haven't been brought up in a nurturing environment where, you know, where they're allowed to explore and, and, and invent and learn from their mistakes. And they haven't been encouraged to fail. You know, I was recently in, in school and I said, failure, if you're not failing, you're not trying. If you're not failing, you're not succeeding. You, the more you fail, the better. Get out and fail. Embrace failure. Learn from it and move on. So, so there's all these messaging that I think that's lacking, that's what's leading children, teenagers, they grow up into adults, into this anxious place where they're worried about the world and their place in it and how do I fit and how do I succeed and, and, and this anxiety and stress is what's causing sickness. This anxiety and stress is what's causing people to make choices that, you know, lead them to addiction, that lead them, that lead them down the path of poor health and disease. And, and so the simplicity of this, I believe, is just if you understand, there's two parts to this understand the power of your thoughts and how they lead to your emotional state and how that's going to pretty much dictate everything that happens in your life. Number two, well, how do we keep get and keep ourselves in a positive emotional state? And that's, I truly believe we need to focus on what, what perp- our purpose is in life. I mean, I, I'm really big now on helping people identify their purpose in life, because if you're waking up every day, you know, Oh, another day, oh, I hate what I do. I hate going there and I, you know, you're seriously on a on a bad path. But if you can wake up every day going, yes, a new day. You know, I wake up every day and I love every single second of every day because I know I'm I'm on purpose. I'm doing what I need to do. I'm doing what I want to do. I'm doing I'm making a difference I want to make. And I think when when you can find that space, you're in a better emotional state, you'll start making better choices because when you're on purpose, you want to be healthier. You know, I, I want to eat better. I want to exercise and do I love it? Not always, but I know I would. I'll do it because I want to be the best I can be and live beyond a hundred, making a difference, make the most of the time I have on this planet because it's short. And I, when I'm gone, I'm gone. And I don't, and I want to leave leave the legacy that that will last. That was a long-winded answer to your question. No, yeah.
0: no it was a brilliant answer. It throws up a couple of questions though. Um, the first one is how how you know it's very difficult for people who are in a bad place to just make that switch how do you how do you i mean you we talked about that in the introduction that, that you want to motivate those who can't be motivated engage those who can't be right. engaged you know i mean i i've worked as a therapist so i i've come across a lot of these issues where you have people who are really willing to move forward but they're so stuck they just yep. can't do that. So, how do you help people cross over from that place of, of being okay. locked and stuck?
1: Well, I, I guess as a first disclaimer, I'm not a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a counsellor, and and so if someone's in a really bad place, I'm, you know, they need professional help. You know, I'm, I'm certainly don't think I'm got I've got all the answers, and I can help people, people that are you know in a they've got serious mental health issues. You know, they need to they need they need extra help. However, I think there's there's a few pieces to this. I mean and my my goal to engage the unengaged book and and that is I think that in Australia anyway, and I don't know what it's like um, in the UK, but in Australia we the biggest disorder or disease we have is it's called she'll be right, mate. <laughs> it's okay, she'll be right, mate. You know, like this is typical Australian attitude is as soon as anything comes up around health and wellbeing, people go, I don't know. I'm okay. She'll be right. You know, I don't need to do anything. So they think that they're okay. They think, you know, they look at themselves in the mirror and they might have a bit of a gut or a little bit of fat, but you know, I'm okay. I don't need to, that's, I'm too busy to to even think about doing anything. You know, my job's busy. I've got family commitments. Don't have time for that. So there's that, 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 uh, type of person that I'm trying to engage and the other type of the ones that don't value their health, you know, and there are people that have serious mental health issues or low self-esteem or anxiety and then it's like, well, why would I want to be healthy? I don't want to spend any more time on this planet than I have to. Mm. You know, and obviously this is a starting of that process that leads people down the path of suicide, right? Um, so how do we engage people? Well, the first, the first step is this. They've got to understand that health is not a pillar. And I think the biggest mistake people make is they think health is one of the pillars in life. I mean, we all have pillars, whether it's, whether it's family, whether it's career, financial, hobbies, social, whatever it is. We, we choose. A pillar is something you prioritise, okay? So if family's a priority, you will, you will steal time from other things to, to spend time with family, correct? Now, the mistake people make is they put health and wellbeing as a pillar. Therefore, they give themselves a choice, They say, okay, well, health and well-being, I'll I'll invest time in that if it's important enough or if I have the time, but if I'm busy. And, you know, I've spent 30 years in the health and well-being industry and I couldn't tell you how many times people cancelled sessions on me because they were busy, never made them up, how many times people say, oh, yeah, I was going to go shopping and buy healthy food, but I was too busy so I I had a big Mac. You know, like people, you think they have a choice. That's the mistake they make. What they're not, what they don't realize is their health and wellbeing is not a pillar. It's the foundation upon which everything stands. It's a foundation upon everything that's important to them. So, you know, these days when I'm speaking, I say I'm not talking about your health and wellbeing. I'm talking about living your best life. I'm talking about how you be a better parent, how you how you be a better leader, how you be a, be more successful in your career, and to do that, you need to. You need to take notice of the little things that you're doing every single day that are that are impacting your physical health and well-being and your mental health and well-being because you lose your health and you lose everything. You know, my mum's gone; she's passed. She's been gone 15 years. You know, her her disease, her, her cancer, has taken her life. Everything that's important to her is now gone. And and I think people need to now start to ask, start to understand that you know if I miss breakfast it's not a big deal. Yes, it's a big deal. It's a massive deal because it's a mindset. Skipping breakfast is a thought that leads to an emotion that leads to an action that creates a habit of skipping breakfast. You know, smoking, alcohol, poor food choices—they're thoughts, and we think that we think of them as isolated. It's just an isolated thing. No, it's not isolated because it's a thought that leads to a. You know, it's a mindset that leads to habits that will always lead to a result. And I think the way, the second someone can make the connection between eating breakfast and being a better parent, eating breakfast and being a better leader, eating breakfast and, and, and enjoying their social life more, making those choices, and every time they make a choice, there's a connection. Oh, okay, you know, if I eat salad rather than, chips then I'm setting a better example for my kids I'm more likely to be around for my grandkids then I think at that point people start engaging more when you take it that you say this is not about your health and well-being this is about you being a better parent a better boss a better leader a better whatever living your best life that's what it's about and I think the first step is helping people get to that aha moment where they go oh yeah I can see how the choices I'm making are impacting every aspect of my life, then maybe I can start making better choices. So that's the first step. The second step is, um, is helping people then, and this is the tough one, and this is not easy, but, but it, takes, it takes awareness and it takes practice of capturing negative emotion. So when you feel negative emotion, that's bad. And, but a lot of people just go on with their day living with anxiety. You know, oh yeah, I've just got to put up the put up the living with anger, living with all these negative emotions, rather than going, No, what? Why am I feeling this emotion? Because there's a thought that has led to this emotion. There's a thought that's led to anger. There's a thought that's led to anxiety. What am I thinking? How do I change the thought? How do I look at it from a different perspective? And if we can get people going, feeling anxiety, like wake up in the morning and the anxiety hits, like I don't want to go to work. Uh, okay. All right, capture it. All right. So the thought is, I don't want to go to work. Let's try and change perspective. Maybe, maybe I could be grateful for the fact that I get paid. Maybe, maybe I could think about the impact that I'm having at work and that, and why I'm, I'm a valuable member of a team. And all of a sudden, when we can change perspective, all of a sudden in a heartbeat, that emotion changes. Therefore, we feel more motivated. We get up. We're more likely to to make better choices. And, again, we now start putting ourselves on this totally different path. So that's, I guess, there are a couple of the things that I do. Now, the the key, I guess, process here is, and I'm following the uh, a lady named Dr Caroline Leaf. I don't know whether you've heard of her. She's a, a cognitive neuroscientist. She's done, she's had 30 or 40 years in this space, and she talks about... Um, how it takes the science now is showing it takes 60, at least 63 days to create a strong neural pathway in the brain. In other words, to change a habit, to create a new habit, 63 days. Now the old thinking was it takes 21 days. Well, so what she's saying is it does take 21 days to actually form the habit, but it takes another 21 days to strengthen it so that the old habits don't overpower it and it takes a final 21 days to embed it. So 63 days. So, therefore, if we can get people that are ready to do something that are in the mindset of saying, Yeah, I want to make change. I feel I, I understand what's important in my life. I've got, here's a couple of things I want to change. Then it's a simple 63 day box ticking process of I'm going to, if I pick, say, two, three things, that's it. I need to eat. I need to capture negative emotion because I know that's a problem. I need to eat breakfast within half an hour of getting out of bed and I need to drink an extra half. A letter of water a day and they focus on those three things and they focus every day for 63 days 63 days they, they i call it win the day get up eat your breakfast tick a box win the day. Drink your extra half a letter of water, tick the box, win the day. Capture negative emotion. Every time you do it, you tick the box, you win the day. And by focusing, 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 and, and this obviously requires support, community, mentorship, accountability, a whole range of things that will come into this, then we can help people change, change simple, simple habits, which will then obviously create this ripple effect and and impact not only their lives, but the lives of their family, their community and people around
0: them. Yeah, fascinating, actually. Um, I think that's um, an amazingly relevant point, and I really like that reframe that you had right at the very beginning of The Pillows, because I think one of the issues with health is that a lot of the effects are downstream, and as human beings, although we kind of predict our futures and that's where our anxieties come from is worrying about the future there's a pretty short-term future and it's actually very difficult for us to look 20 30 years in advance and what you've done is move that timeline right back to now and I think that that makes it so much easier for people to kind of like latch onto the idea I love that I love yes. that. Um, And the other points you raise as well, totally endorse all of that. I think that's um, a very powerful observation. And yes, um, neuroplasticity is a phenomenal thing, and you do have to keep at it. But I think another very valid point that you made there is the fact that this is almost impossible to do sometimes by yourself. And a lot of people are living in isolation. And so I think it's really essential um, to construct, as you have done, Sort of setups where people do get that kind of support and accountability and sense of community. Sure. Um, I, I recently interviewed um, Dr David Dixon who, um, Michael Dixon, apologies, um, who sure. in the UK has set up this, initiated this program that's been taken over by the NHS called Social Prescribing, which is where they will have link workers in doctors' practices, that are not medical staff but they see where people need support in order to be able to optimize their healthcare. so like going to, with them to get their benefits or going to help them get a job or joining yeah. a group right. in a society i think that's such a huge point you know that support Absolutely. is essential
1: essential well, it's interesting there's some research um on the power of accountability you know and and this research was was done on on a group of people that were given a diagnosis by a doctor that if they didn't change they will die
0: mm-hmm.
1: right that if honestly you know you you've been diagnosed with this medic physical condition and if you continue doing what you're doing you'll end up dead you know so they've been given a pretty harsh diagnosis and they've been, they you would think that would be pretty strong motivation for them to change so they were given a list of things to do and and only one, I think it was one out of ten. One out of ten of these people actually followed through and 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 took up and made the changes they needed to make. One out of ten, even with the threat of death. Now another group of people, same same instructions, same diagnosis, but had an accountability. They had to check in. They had someone that was supporting them and helping them and and working with them. Eight out of ten of them changed their habits and and and. And save their lives. So it just shows the power of community, the power of accountability, the power of support. That's uh, essential. And I think too many people are out there trying to work it out on their own, and you don't need to work it out on your own. There's there's enormous amount of support these days to to help that. So I think that would be a that's a very powerful for me. That was a very powerful lesson. Mm
0: -hmm, Absolutely. So let's have a look at the, at the wellness puzzle because I've, I love the way that you've put that together. So a puzzle by definition has pieces. So maybe you can just briefly go through the pieces of the wellness puzzle.
1: Yeah, I will, absolutely, Tariana. Um So the wellness puzzle, again, it's a culmination of over 30 years of looking at what's impacting our health and wellbeing. What, what are the things? Because, I, you know, I'm a true believer that every person on this planet is born to be optimally healthy, and to me, optimal health is not just a six-pack or buns of steel. Uh, you know, optimal health and well-being is looking and feeling the way you want to look and feel. But but it's more than that. It's being happy every single day. It's living on purpose. It's doing the things that are making a difference. I, I truly believe optimal well-being is just li- waking up and living that that life of joy. And I think we all we've all been put on this planet for a purpose. We're all here for a reason. There's no mistakes. And and the problem is, I think. In, in the 21st century, there's so many forces and stresses acting on the body, which just basically pushes that body out of balance. And disease is really, and, I, and I, in the book I talk about disease. you know, the word disease is disease. It's just a body that's out of balance. You know, people go, oh, I'm sick. No, no, you're just out of balance, and we've just got to get the body back into balance. So, so I was looking at what are the pieces of the puzzle, from my experience, that are going to help people get back into balance? That's the whole idea of the puzzle, and and, and the concept is if, if optimal well-being is what people want, then you need to put all of the pieces in the puzzle. You can't – a puzzle is not finished. You don't leave one piece out of a puzzle and go, I've done it. You know, you will always put that last piece into the puzzle. So can we improve by just focusing on one or two? Absolutely. Can we feel better, look better? Yes, we can, but are we going to live the life of – joyful longevity that's what i'm helping people do joyful longevity you know not just living long but living joyfully and purposefully into well into old age and you know i talk to a lot of groups and i ask them how many would love to live to 100 and i get about maybe five percent of the room put their hands up so i don't want to live to 100 but then i say okay let's reframe that who would like to live to 100 if you are full of energy you still had all your mental You know, you were still mentally with it. You were still able to do all the things you want. You loved your life. You're doing things that you loved every day. Now who would like to live to 100? And, you know, most of the people will put their hand up because people think living to 100 means on medication, you know, in a wheelchair attached to a drip. That's what they perceive living to 100, and, and that's a sad reflection on, I guess, we're society. So the whole idea of the book is to help people live that life of joyful longevity on purpose. So there's seven pieces of the puzzle. The first piece is find your purpose, and I think we've spoken about that, and I think that's a foundation because I just don't think we can be optimally healthy if we're not living on purpose because when we're not living on purpose, we're stressed and anxious and we're affected by by everything else that's happening around the world, you know, and you can't, as we've already discussed, you cannot out-eat negative emotion. You can't eat enough salad or vegetables to compensate for anxiety. You can't do it, you know. There's too much evidence around the world of, of people that are eating salads, as you said, you know, they're obsessing over it and they're creating stress in their body and they're ending up, ending up sick. You can't out-train it. So the first piece of the puzzle is identify, find your purpose, what, why there's a reason why we're all here. I start to identify what's most important and wake up every day and focus on that because that immediately puts us into a positive emotional state. Second piece of the puzzle then is, is understanding that if if our emotions are the things that are causing causing sickness but our emotions will also help us be optimally healthy, then we need to control and protect the thing that is leading to our emotions and that's our thinking. You know, so so protecting our, our mind is critically important through the people we associate with, through what are we reading, what are we watching, what are we listening to every day. I mean how many people spend, you know, the news is on TV, it's on the radio, it's in papers, it's in on apps, on phones people are, are bombarded and 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 just killing themselves with new bad news you know it's bad i don't watch the news anymore because i if it's important enough someone will tell me and i don't need that stress you know people spend all their time reading trashy magazines or crime based books or newspapers rather than reading books that are going to empower and encourage and and, and really inform them you know, and that's why I write because of the power of reading positive powerful books it will totally transform lives you know w- what are we listening to when we're driving in the car are we listening to the radio or we're we listening to a podcast are we listening to you Tediana, because of the well, amazing information so. you're, <laughs> you know this is the stuff people need to be listening to not trashy radio stations Um, You know, who are we associating with? You know, we we spend so much time worried about what other people think and, you know, we hang around people that are critical and they're bullies and get away from those people and find people that will lift and support and encourage you. Now, this is critically important because this is every day and we will become who we associate with and what we read and what we listen to. So that's part two of piece two of the puzzle is, yeah, and the first two pieces have got very little to do with anything other than our mindset and what we're focused on because everything that starts now thinking will lead to our emotional state which will then will ripple out and, and affect every area of our life. So that's piece two. Now, piece three and four, I'm thinking about things. I'm, it's obvious, but, it's, but people often don't think about the things that we consume the most of. You know, from a, from a consumption point of view, from a nutrient point of view, when, when I ask people what do we consume most of, people think food. What they don't realise is they breathe 24-7 and, and put at least on a daily basis on average 13,000 litres of air into their lungs and into their body. And how many people stop unless they have some sort of respiratory issue, maybe asthma or snoring issue or something, how many people really think about what they're taking into their body with every breath? and the fact is we live in a polluted world we live in a we we live in a toxic polluted world so every breath that we take is taking in with the dust chemicals toxins pollutants that are breaking down our body so so piece three is about is about air and obviously we need to breathe it's important to breathe but purifying the air in our home i think is a massive and one of the most simplest things people can do to to make a big difference all you have to do is get a Put some plants in your house, get a salt lamp, get an air purifier, plug it in, turn it on, and now you're purifying 50% of the air that you're breathing. Very, very simple. Very simple to do. Water is the same thing. I mean, the two nutrients we need the most of are air and water, okay? We breathe, we drink water. I don't know what water is like in the UK, but I'll tell you what, in, in Australia, I am not touching tap water. It's full of chemicals. It's full of bugs and viruses and chlorine and rubbish that I don't want in my body. I filter it. I purify my water, and I think, wow, what a simple thing we can all do is put a good quality purifier on our tap and filter that water that's coming out of that tap. Because most people got no idea of the condition of the pipes leading to their kitchen tap, and if they did, I guarantee they wouldn't drink the water nor would they give it to their kids. So, so. Piece four is purifying. Piece five is the, probably the biggest piece because that's the most complicated, and that's the nutrition piece of the puzzle. So obviously I'm not going to get into a lot of detail right now, but, you know, I touch on metabolism and, and eating the right, you know, giving your body the right amount, the right type of food at the right time of the day. I touch on cellular health. I touch on um, gut health. I touch on how do we how do we how do we, compensate. How, overcome certain stresses through nutrition. What are some nutritional things that can help us with cortisol, with, with free radical activity, with toxicity? Um, I think the biggest thing, one of the, the chapters in the book, which I talk a lot about is, is perception of food and how we label food and how we look at food. And I think the biggest mistake a lot of people make is they label food or they blame food. When, when I, I'm a true believer that all food is good, some food we should eat less of, some food we eat more of, but all food is good and, and I think it's the food's not as much of the problem as people think it is because, I mean, people will blame, you know, takeaway food for the fact they're overweight, but that food doesn't chase them down the street. You know, they <laughs> put that food into their mouth. There's a reason why we eat chocolate. There's a reason why we eat donuts. there's a reason why we drink, there's a reason why we, you know, and and it's not so much the food, it's more the reason why we're consuming the food. See, to me, and the reason I I wrote my first book, Eat Chocolate, Drink Alcohol and Be Lean and Healthy, is because I wanted people to know that, (coughs) excuse me, that alcohol and chocolate are not unhealthy. I don't think they are. I think at the right time, in the right situation, they're incredibly healthy. And if they're if they consumed um, for the right reasons. For example, you know, I love a drink. It's been a long day. I feel like a drink. I'm going to have a drink. And I'm going to enjoy it. To me, that's a healthy thing because when you when you try and withhold and st- I can't drink and I can't do this, that creates stress. So so often, you know, I give people permission to have a pizza, have ice cream. Yum. I love ice cream. I mean, who's going to give up this stuff anyway? And most people eat it and feel guilty about it. The food's not the problem. The guilt's the problem. Um, the other the other issues are, you know, when we're craving. We crave food. Crave, crave. I get asked this question all the time. What should I eat when I'm craving? And, and I say, well, it's the wrong question. The question you should be asking is how do I stop the craving? You know, eat regularly. Eat breakfast, snack on the right things during the day. Keep your blood sugar levels nice and level. Give your body the nutrients it needs. You won't crave. Then when you choose to eat your donut or your fish and chips or your pizza, you'll do it for the right reason. You know, if people are eating food because it's an emotional thing, then it's the emotional thing they need to fix, not the food. And I think this is a really important thing because, you know, there's a lot of people that don't enjoy eating because they, they put so much stress on, on this whole eating that I must eat the right things and I can't have a, even a teaspoon of oil or I can't have a teaspoon of sugar. Well, the oil and the sugar is not the problem. The oil and the sugar, it's the reason why you're eating the oil and the sugar is the problem. And when you can deal with that, then all of a sudden eating becomes an amazing experience and you can indulge in moderation and be lean and healthy and and love, love that part of, of your nutritional plan. So, so as you can see, the nutrition piece is a big piece of the puzzle um then then uh exercise obviously is a piece of the puzzle you know we need to move um you know i'm not i certainly don't think you need to train like an elite athlete or an elite ballet dancer but Mm -hmm. but i certainly think we do need to move every day so i just encourage people to start walking you know just get a something that measures your steps measure your steps set a goal and do it every day get into the habit because once you build that foundation of Movement, then you're more likely to start developing that. So start with a good foundation. The final piece of the puzzle is was one that um, came at the end because I knew I'd had I had seven pieces. One of them I wasn't sure about, and I felt like there was something missing. And then it came to me. And so the final piece of the puzzle is faith, and and it's it's there because I truly believe faith gives us peace, peace of mind, and I think peace of mind is one of the reasons why people are living longer. In fact, this lady that lived to 113, this is what she said. She said when asked how do you live to 113, she said, I don't worry about anything. I trust in the Lord and I know everything's okay. Now that's faith. The trusting, now I'm not talking about God here. I'm talking about having a faith that there is that things are in control, that there's a way forward, that there's an answer to your problems, that no matter what you might be dealing, there's a way through that. No matter what you're trying to achieve, there's a way to achieve it. Just knowing in advance. There's a wonderful quote by a guy called Philip Yancey, who I think is an English author, and he says, faith is trusting in advance that which only makes sense in reverse. So it's knowing right now, no matter where you're at, no matter what you want, that if you start moving forward, there's a way that it will happen. And it's incredible the peace of mind that brings. And, and so I talk about that faith piece of the puzzle, and I truly believe it's an integral piece of the wellness puzzle. So there's seven pieces of the puzzle. And, um, you know, obviously it's a process to, to put them all into place, but you know what, it's so worth doing. So 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 worth doing and, and I think if people can take the time and, and energy to work through it, it will absolutely transform their life.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, I it's interesting. You have seven pieces and, and I have three, but they're they're all the same thing. So it's it's you know, I think I hear this now so often from so many different sources that at the end of the day, you know, it's mind, it's body, it's spirit, it's looking after all of those things. And of course, you can break those down into smaller segments. Um, But you, you have to look after the whole shop, you know, otherwise you don't come forward. I also love what you said about faith at the end, because I know there's been a lot of research and studies into people who make spontaneous recoveries, for example, and they all have like a lot of things in common and one of those things is this belief in a in a in something bigger than themselves, and that it's all gonna be okay so i I totally echo what you say there I think that's a huge component and um I suspect in a very secular society that we have these days that, that actually a lot of people are really missing something to have faith totally. in, you know, totally. uh, especially themselves, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely.
0: Great. Andrew, if people want to get to know more about you and get a copy of your book and some of the other books and just engage with you more and find out more about your message, how do they best do that?
1: Oh, the best way is just on my website, Tatiana. It's it's www.andrewjobling.com.au. And Jobling is J-O-B-L-I-N-G. So Andrew Jobling, all one word, .com.au.
0: We'll put the link in the show notes for sure. Wonderful. Andrew... I love this conversation. As I said, we're definitely very much talking on the same lines. And in that idea of mind, body, spirit, I always ask all of my guests a couple of questions at the end and that idea of mind, body and spirit, I like to think of it in terms of health, happiness and serenity. So for you personally, what is your definition of health? What does that word actually mean to you?
1: Health is, well, Wow. I, I think I've probably covered it since talking, but I truly believe health is, not, is certainly not just about the way we look and certainly not just physical. I truly believe it's an attitude. You know, it's an attitude of life. It's wanting to to live your best life, Living, live, being here for as long as you can and leaving a legacy and, and loving every day. You know, to me that's what health is. Yeah, you know, and when you're there, I think I just believe when you're in that mindset of that attitude of every day is an exciting adventure, every day is an opportunity, then we just we will automatically do the things we know we should be doing around physical health and wellbeing. I think everyone knows they should eat well; they they know what they should eat, they know they should exercise. Uh, it's just getting them into a point where they 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 actually want to do it. So, so, I truly believe health is a mindset, and it's an attitude of of life and when you when you can focus on the things that you love and that are important, then all of a sudden everything else takes care of itself.
0: Great. you spoke a lot about happiness um and being joyful. um I think sometimes people confuse happiness with pleasure and they're not really the same thing so how other than Engaging actively in positive minds or uh, mindset and thoughts. What do you actually do to get happy? And what makes you happy in life?
1: Well, again, it comes back to the same thing, Tanya. You know? I mean, every day for me, I've got a, I've got a purpose, you know. So every day that I'm moving towards my purpose, I feel happy. Like, and that doesn't mean I'm always I'm always in a great mood, and it doesn't mean that I don't feel sadness. It doesn't mean there are the days where I'm not a bit flat. It just means that i I'm more able now to find solutions and 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 i don't things happen and they, they don't get me down anymore because i go okay well there's a the reason for this what can I learn how do i get out of this what's what's the opportunity what 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 am i going to benefit from when i when i solve this so um i've totally forgotten what you the question was but
0: <laughs> I mean, how do you get happy <laughs> I,
1: i'm happy i it's a decision happiness is a choice i choose to be happy and i think people unfortunately they they let their circumstances dictate whether they're happy or not well that's the biggest mistake because life is is going to throw challenges at us all the time and if we're going to allow those circumstances to dictate whether we're happy or sad then we'll be sad most of our lives okay so so it's a choice happiness is a choice I choose to be happy. I choose to look at positive side. I choose when someone asks me how I am, I will always say I'm fantastic. Like, they what, go, "What's wrong with you?" And I said, "I'm I love my life. Why? Because I'm on purpose. Why? Because I choose to. Happiness is a choice."
0: Right. Right. And serenity is the last one. We we talked a lot about the fact that, you know, certainly young people are overwhelmed and, and adults too with the media and everything and the stresses of life. Um, do you have a specific practice or certain things that you do throughout the day or on special days to turn down the noise and get to a place of serenity?
1: Yeah, I do, I, I do a little bit every day. I do a little bit of just downtime whether it might just be a or a 10 minute meditation or a you know a, a power nap or just to switch off or you know there I, I love watching movies there are movies that i love that just i watch them and i just i'm serene and you know and i pick the movies that i watch the ones that are, always are inspiring or make me feel good um just little things every day and I think just gratitude is a wonderful thing to do every day. I just go, wow, isn't life good? I just, and, and it might just be a moment in time where I'm going to do something and I'm going, wow, I'm so glad I get the opportunity to do this. I'm so grateful for this opportunity and I think those simple things. So, but we don't need to invest time all this um, massive amount of time to be serene. We just need to look at opportunities for gratitude, look at opportunities where we can just sit and, and look at you know, I'm looking out the window right now at a beautiful tree and, and a beautiful, you know, scenery, and, and I'm grateful for that. And I think that sort of stuff just keeps me, keeps me in that place most of the
0: time. Fabulous, fabulous. Thank you, Andrew, so much for taking the time to come and speak to me today. It was an absolute pleasure.
1: Taliana, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: Well, dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Andrew as much as I did. And for somebody who calls himself an attention-seeking mama's boy, I thought he behaved rather well. And I hope you agree with me. Wonderful information, so much in line with the message of London Heal, that you have to take everything into account. And, of course, you have to make sure that your mind is on board. Otherwise, life can be pretty challenging. So please take the time if you're interested to go and explore Andrew's website and meet his book, highly recommended. And if you found this episode interesting and of value, then please share shamelessly, as we always say. And if you would like to get extended show notes for future episodes of London Heal, so that you don't have to listen with pen and paper and take notes, that's the old school way of doing it then please go over to londonheal.com, get onto the mailing list and you'll receive a newsletter with extended show notes and all the links every time a new episode is published. And of course, please pop over to any platform that you get your podcasts from, especially Apple Podcasts, and please leave us a rating and review us because that really helps us spread our message. And so my dear listeners, that leaves me to wish you, as always, health, happiness and serenity.